Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it together and we get three different perspectives off of three different people. As always, I have with me Lachlan Miller, our expert. Hello. Morgan Carter, our newbie. Hi. And I'm Joshua Lee, the PK Pastors Kid. How are you all doing? I'm well, I'm well. I'm really excited that we're in the final chunk of the book of Genesis. I'm mm. slightly more excited that on Monday I head off to Europe for a month yeah. with my lovely wife, Emily. And so very excited for that in the very, very near future. Mm. Oh, good. Morgan, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited because it's a long weekend. So going to have a bit of a longer break from work. Yeah, I'm good. Just plodding along. How are you, Josh? <laughs> Good. I too am also looking forward to the long weekend and uh, I'm going to go up and see my parents, my folks. I haven't seen them in a while, so that's going to be it's going to be nice. It's not as exciting as a Europe trip that's coming up. <laughs> yep. But no, I'm also doing well. Um, to, to steal your words, Morgan, I'm also plodding along, doing, doing work, doing <laughs> life. But um, no, I'm doing well. Before we get stuck in today's chapters, I'm just going to let everyone know that um, we've got our Patreon. If you haven't heard us talk about our Patreon, if you want to financially support us, head over to Patreon. There you'll get extra content. You'll also get early content, but we also get to interact with you there and see your comments, your questions, and um, it's just a way to financially support us. But also head over to our um, social medias and follow us there. Uh, we keep them. Well, we try to keep them up to date best we can. Lockie, what chapters are we doing today? Today we are finishing the book of Genesis. We're going to read the final three chapters, which is chapters 48, 49, and 50. Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapters 48 to 50. As Jacob reaches the end of his life, he gathers all his sons around him and pronounces a variety of blessings upon them. During this, he pays particular attention to Judah and Joseph, predicting that they will outshine their brothers in importance. Jacob then passes away and his sons briefly return to Canaan to bury him in the family tomb. Sixty years then pass and Joseph too passes away, also requesting that his body be buried in Canaan when the family returns there. This is where Genesis ends, anticipating a time when the Israelites will leave Egypt and return to the land of Canaan. So last episode, we see a reuniting of a family. Mm -hmm. Now, this reuniting doesn't happen straight away. It's a bit of a slow process. And we have Joseph here. We're following Joseph's story. And he's the ruler. He's sort of gotten everyone out of a... Well, the famine's still happening. So he's sort of being able to control that. And people are coming and flocking in uh, from all across the land, including uh, Joseph's brothers. And so... At this point of the story, they've gone and they've gotten more grain. So they've already sort of visited once, but they're going again to get, get grain. And this time, Joseph invites them all to have a feast, to come in and, and eat a meal together. But then in the same way as the first time, he puts the gold back into their sacks, but also his magical cup or his, right. his silver his silver cup as we discussed into benjamin's uh sack and so uh that then leads to sort of this conflict and they don't want to go back to the brothers don't want to go back to their father jacob without benjamin otherwise jacob would be so distraught he might actually just kill over and die and 
to our amazement, all the brothers go back, and that's sort of led by the charge of Judah. And Judah has a real sort of turning point here. We saw that character shift from what he was to what he's becoming the sort of, almost in a way, like a leader of the of the mm. group. Well, he's really sort of taking ownership over actions, really, here. And after sort of the, the back and forth there and sort of Joseph reveals himself, it's all sort of very happy and um, they go off and they collect Jacob, they come back and the, the family is reunited again. Mm. And then 17 years passes and after 17 years, Jacob is on his deathbed. Yes. And that's where we start in chapter 48. And Jacob's already quite an old man when mm. he went to originally went to Egypt and the family was reunited. So now... Yeah, very much the final days of Jacob here. What's particularly interesting as we dive into chapter 48 is in Hebrews 11, which is probably one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, it's a chapter that goes through basically the great moments of faith of every Old Testament character. It's an incredible read. And the moment they choose for Jacob in Hebrews chapter 11 is, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. So this story we're about to read is what the author of the book of Hebrews has decided is Jacob's biggest act of faith. Mm. And so we're about to read his biggest moment of faith. And I think it's his biggest moment of faith because it shows him that even while dying, even almost in death, he looks forward to the future and he sees that God's promises will continue into the future. So, so a man that was very much looking after himself when we look at Jacob's birth and mm -hmm. him deceiving and getting the like the birthright from his brother and going through all all that and his 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 journey throughout sort of life of him changing from becoming Jacob to to Israel instead of becoming the staying this selfish person he's now looking forward to the future and sort of God's plan mm. yes and even in the face of death he gets to look forward to God's promises continuing mm. When I read in 48 um, from verse 4 where it says, Behold, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you, I was just thinking how much more, like there's such a big family already, <laughs> like how much more? Well, they still need to go from a family to a nation. Mm. But yes, like I know, I just, point. in my head, I was just thinking about that big walk and how they all traveled together. I was like, how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they already, they're already have multiplied. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, no, multiplying from further from their 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 <laughs> children and then their children and then their children. Yeah. And I don't think they need to keep saying multiply because it just happens. It's like so obvious. Mm. But I think it doubles down on the language so that we as the readers don't ever miss it. Because otherwise I think we would get in a similar mindset and go, oh, of course, there's more of them now than there was in chapter 12 when we first met Abraham because that's just mm -hmm. how human families work. But by specifically pointing it out over and over, we get to have in the back of our mind, ah, look, the multiplication that was promised to Abraham is happening. Yeah. And there was a part in verse 10 where it says, Now the eyes of Israel, Jacob, were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And I just thought that was such a nice image. Mm. Like so nice. Especially since when Jacob's father, Isaac, went blind, he deceived him. Mm. But now when Jacob's going blind, he gets to have this really beautiful family moment. Yeah. Mm. And he says, I never expected to see your face, but it's saying that he they were so dim he could not see. Mm. But yeah, but now God has let me see your children too. Yeah. You know, like, like again, praising God for having this moment as well. And it's a big thing, like, you know, bringing your children before 
your parents and getting their almost approval or um, that mark of respect. And, and here we see their blessings. And they're actually huge blessings because Jacob says, your two children who was born to you in the land of Egypt will be reckoned as mine hmm. in the same way that a Simeon or a Levite is mine. So will your children be considered mine? So is that a status thing? So like it, you will be on the same level as Jacob's son, even though they're sons of sons of the son. So this is how Jacob gives Joseph the blessing of the firstborn, because he now gives his two sons a share of the inheritance, which effectively gives Joseph a double portion of the inheritance. Yes. Because if Joseph's two sons count as Jacob's sons and they each get a share of the inheritance each, there's Joseph's family getting a double share. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Especially, we'll get to it in chapter 49, we see each individual son get it and that firstborn isn't doesn't get a, a good one. No, no. In um, 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, it says... Reuben was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn was given to the sons of Joseph. And so the biblical story is clear that it is Joseph who, through his sons, receives the double portion, the rights of inheritance that the firstborn is owed. So why does it have to be through the sons? Why not just give it to Joseph himself, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Probably because it's an even bigger blessing to give it to Joseph's sons. Yeah. Because effectively, what would Joseph do with the inheritance? He would, I mean, he's a very, very rich, powerful man. Mm. His concern now is probably making sure that his kids end up well oh, off yeah. and blessed. Yeah. And so Jacob's sort of already taken out the middleman and yeah. made sure that it goes straight to Joseph's sons. Yep. So he they almost, in a way, doesn't have to give his own. They don't get to necessarily, well, well the sons also get to possibly inherit Joseph's stuff, but then also Jacob's stuff. And so, like, yeah, they're getting that double portion. Mm. And this is where we get the two half-tribes of Joseph. We get Ephraim and we get Manasseh. And they, whenever we see the 12 tribes of Israel, there's usually technically 13 listed because rather than one tribe of Joseph, we get the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. From, I think it's 15 onwards, on and off, the writing style is different. Is that meant to be, why is it like that? It's what we've seen in the rest of Genesis. I think we've seen similar parts because what we see from 15 onwards is the blessing itself and this blessing is effectively just a prayer. And so, yeah, you're right. It changes from narrative from verse 15 onwards. Yeah, in 49, it's almost like it looks like Psalms or like Proverbs. Yeah, yeah. When we get to 49, similarly, this is Jacob almost giving a prophecy. And so, our English Bibles really differentiate these sections by making them narrower on the page so we can see that we're no longer just in historical narrative. Instead, something different is happening. So, in 48 here, it's a prayer. It's a blessing. Yeah. I found it a bit harder to follow than just like a story, like how it was, just a little bit different. But yeah. Yeah, fair. Mm. And here we see that idea of the first and last flipping Mm. in action, just simply by Jacob's, where Jacob's hands are placed. Mm. That Joseph is trying to expertly position the firstborn and the, and, you know, the secondborn by sort of sort of rank order, if you if you will. But Jacob, he knows what he's doing. He's not mm. having a bar of that. He just crosses his hands. <laughs> and it's really funny how at first Joseph either thinks his father's making a mistake. Like mm. he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like this is the firstborn. Your right hand should be on him. And then you, you, we read Jacob totally knows what he's doing. He's like, yep. yeah, I know. Yeah. But the older will serve the younger. Mm. 
Yes, and this is the that that sort of current that that theme of we see that in Jacob, Jacob and Esau. Technically, they're twins, but Esau comes out first, and then then Jacob. But we see that that notion flipped there. And here we're with Jacob's sons. Joseph, being more the younger of the sons, is also sort of getting the firstborn's blessing here. And then now, even with Joseph's sons that the second born is getting the blessing that the first born would normally normally get mm. and that's sort of like you know that that theme throughout the bible and what jesus definitely teaches of like flipping that sort of hierarchical structure mm. the first will be last last mm. will be first and it goes back even further than just jacob and esau right isaac was the second born after Ishmael. Mm, and yeah. we also had the discussion about how Abraham was probably not the firstborn either. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so the entire line that God has chosen to use here totally upends this social norm mm. at every level all the way through the book of Genesis. Mm. Why did Joseph remove them from his knees in verse 12 of 48? So the action of placing children on your knees was a sign signifying that they belong to you. So part of this almost adoption ceremony that we're reading here is Jacob going, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim sit on my knees and now I adopt you as my own sons. Not just my grandsons, but now you are my own sons. The weird thing about this situation is these guys are like more than 20 years old. Like when you look at the maths of when they were born at the time that's happening here, you have like 20-something-year-old men sitting on a very, very elderly Jacob's knees. Which always bursts the bubble for the son's and then their sons. Because, yeah, I can understand Jacob being real old, but the sons, no, they're like, mm. they're still young. <laughs> yeah, but not young enough to be sitting on their grandfather's knees. No. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Mm. How you going? I totally agree that it's weird, but it is also just this adoption ceremony that we're reading. It's the custom. Yeah. And so jumping to verse 22 at the end of chapter 48, I correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember... Jacob taking anything by force. Mm-hmm. Isn't he a real nomadic sort of farming type with herds? Like so to to sort of read the words I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow, I didn't think that was part of Jacob's MO. Yeah. So a lot of scholars think that this is a reference to chapter 34 when his sons Levi and Simeon massacre the Shechemites and uh, sort yeah. of take over that city and plunder everything. They think that this is Jacob claiming that victory as his own. And that would make sense given the extra context that Jacob here is promising Joseph's descendants an extra piece of land and mm. specifically this extra ridge that he took. And Joseph later is buried in Shechem, according to Joshua 24, verse 32. Oh, okay, yep. And so while it's a bit weird that Jacob is now taking credit for something that he was so angry with at the time mm. that his sons did, that seems to be the most sense of that verse. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's sort of like an extra bit of thing that he had that he wasn't originally going to own, but just so happened to own, if yeah. you will. And then just, yeah, gives it to Joseph. We're about to read Jacob going full-on prophet mode and sort of expertly predicting what will come of the offspring of his sons, like what will come of their tribes. And so shall we head to 49? I think mm -hmm. so. So are these blessings or prophecies, as you just said? I think a principle that we see in Genesis is that the lives of the patriarchs or of the fathers of a tribe will affect their descendants. Yeah. And so I think it's a weird combo of both. Mm. But it is primarily Jacob saying, 
I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to your tribes that will come from you. But what will happen to them will be a very good reflection of how you've lived right up until now. Yeah. So it's a mixture of sort of everything, if, mm. if you will. So sort of taking what their lives were at this to this point, sort of prophesizing what they, they might be in the future whilst sort of maybe sprinkling a little blessing here and there, mm. intertwined with it all. Mm. Yeah. I just listened to our episode about the birth of Jacob's 12 sons. Oh, yeah. And we just like slowly stepped through their names and their births and how that worked out. And I think we need to do the exact same thing here, which is just so. slowly step person by person through Jacob's family tree. Especially since we said we were going to do this at the very end. <laughs> we were going we to uncover the entire person each by each, bit by bit. So let us start with Reuben. Mm. The firstborn. <laughs> the tr- the, my, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength. You are the child of my rigorous youth. <laughs> had, him, had him whilst he was in his younger years, Jacob. But it's interesting. So it's like it's starting with sort of propping him up, mm-hmm. if you will. So like saying you are the first in rank and first in power, you know, the firstborn here, the eldest, the, the the one that's sort of meant to maybe lead the other brothers. But then we quickly sort of see his downfall. Yes, very much so. An embarrassing collapse, mm. one commentator I read this week said about Reuben. That's a good way of putting it. And it's because Reuben's impulses were like boiling water. Mm. And so that's what turbulent as the waters is sort of mm-hmm. trying to portray as an image. His, his impulses were all over the place, like when water boils, because he couldn't even control them and he ended up sleeping or defiling his father's couch or father's bed. Mm. He uses both of the words there in the NIV. And this doesn't bode well for the tribe that will come from Reuben. Mm. So in Judges chapter 5, the tribe of Reuben is going to be, be particularly notable for its cowardice, how it refused to come to the battle during the days of Deborah and help Israel throw off their oppressors. So, oh, okay, interesting, because I would have thought that they were using that metaphor of water, sort of just maybe a bit all over the shop or just you could, their their chaos was sort of just a bit random or sporadic like water can be, as it's sort of saying there in verse 4. But no, sort of a bit more cowardice. Mm. Well, it's just that they never from the rest of the Bible that we read, achieved anything of particular note, Mm. even though they should have been the preeminent tribe. Yeah. And in fact, one of the few mentions we will get of Reuben is how cowardly his tribe becomes. Mm. And that makes sense. I mean, it is his downfall here. And if I was Jacob, I would sort of be mad at him too. (laughs) Fair. So in verse 5, we see Simeon and Levi. Weapons of violence are their swords. Hmm. Yeah, we've already referenced chapter 34, which is when Levi and Simeon slaughter all of the Shechemites. And this is Jacob's judgment upon them for that action. Basically, he's saying that they are men of anarchy, they are men of violence, and both of these tribes will be scattered. And just like how in that chapter, Jacob didn't want any part of their sort of going through the town and murdering all the men. He's Mm. also saying here, well, he doesn't want to be part of any of their plans of violence, Mm. you know, even in death. I don't want to be part of any of those plans. Like, don't use my name as part of your, like, way of uh, committing violence. Mm. And the rest of the history of Israel will show that these tribes were scattered. Mm. And so, Simeon's tribe, we see that in Joshua 19, when the land is divided up and they finally receive a plot of land to call their own, 
It's literally within the middle of Judah's land. So picture it as a donut. The land that Simeon receives at the end of the conquest of Canaan is like the donut or the hole within Judah's tribe. And they eventually just get absorbed. Hmm. They basically cease to exist because their land is fully encompassed by one of their brothers Hmm. or one of their fellow tribes. And then with the Levites, they don't even get given any land throughout the land of Israel. They get given a few cities, but that's because they become the priestly tribe and they're scattered throughout all of Israel in a priestly sense. Now, at first you read this as like a really positive thing. Oh, great. Mm. Like Levi gets to become the priestly tribe. What an honor. But I think it's purely an honor because Moses comes from this tribe and Moses yeah. almost redeems the entire tribe. Yeah. Moses and Aaron and all the Levites who come to Moses's aid in Exodus 32 when the Israelites start worshipping the golden calf, it's mm. the Levites who all come to the side of Moses and say, we will rid the camp of this evil. Mm. And so this tribe gets a bit of redemption later on, but this prophecy of them being scattered and dispersed in Israel still comes true. Mm. I was going to say, because my memory of the Levites weren't necessarily all that negative. Mm. No, because one of the greatest characters of the entire Bible mm. Is a Levite. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I guess it's that, as you just said, that redemption of that. They go from the murderous, crippling, just animals out of fun mm. to the pri- as to you the said, priest. the priests, the priestly line, the priests, those that are sort of wanting to rid anything else but Yahweh of mm. you know, you know, making sure that God is uh, fully like there and um, sanctified. Yeah, but I'm still impressed that God could both redeem this family tree and also keep his word about dispelling them all at the same time. Mm. It's just an impressive way of doing it. And now we get to Judah. Mm. Judah's chunk is one of the larger ones. Yes, very much so. In terms of the verses. Mm. And we get a certain lion from Judah. We do. This time I did say lion. You did, you did, you did, say, <laughs> you did, you did say it, and I was like, I rem- like I was reading it before as we sort of do a read over, and I'm like, oh, lion, lion of Judah. <laughs> yes, this is the origin of the phrase, the lion of Judah. In other words, Judah will be like a lion. He will have dominance over his enemies and over his brothers. Mm. And I like how it's specifically saying a, a lion that has finished eating its prey. So it's been able to secure its prey, mm. but a lion that has just been eating and is resting, you don't want to disturb it, you know, and that's what mm. Judah is like. It's not like a lion that is out hunting for prey. It's like it's already caught its prey and you don't want to... It's of, already victorious. It's already victorious and you don't want to disturb that victory that mm. it's had. Mm. So one question I remember having when we first were looking at these sons being born and we sort of were sort of like touching on their future sort of tribes and what they'll sort of end up and sort of having my little bit of knowledge of like these are the tr- these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah's line eventually becomes that sort of kingly line mm. and then eventually we get Jesus from that. Now, the thought I had was, well, why Judah? Like we've we're, we're we're very much focused on Joseph. Like this end part of of Genesis is Joseph's story. He's sold into slavery. Him coming out of that, being especially we get the everyone bowing before him, and he is this ruler. Why it, you would think that the kingly line, as we're sort of saying, would come from Joseph, this person that's all sort of powerful and gets the firstborn blessing. Mm. It's actually one of the big twists Mm. of Genesis is Jacob 
pronounces the blessing of the firstborn on Joseph's son, Ephraim, and like that should include the right to rule. Mm. However, Genesis then throws us this curveball and says, despite the fact that Joseph is so important, despite the fact that he has the double portion given to the firstborn, it is actually through his older brother Judah that the kingly line will come. Mm. Now, maybe it's part of the reason we focus so much on his remarkable transformation. Mm. Like maybe that is something we are meant to see and emulate. For whatever reason, God decides that it is Judah's line that is going to be important even though Joseph has the rights of the firstborn. Yeah. And we also actually see Jesus, I think, fairly clearly within this verse because it says that the scepter will not depart from Judah. In other words, Judah's descendants will be the kingly line, King David, King Solomon, etc. And the scepter will not depart from Judah until he whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of all the nations shall be his. It's very on the nose. It's very. <laughs> it's saying that from Judah will come a king that will rule all of the nations and true kingly authority belongs to him even more so than those who came before. Mm. Like this is one of those clear moments of Jesus in the Old Testament in Genesis. And I think this is one of the great reasons why for us personally, we started with the gospel, mm. like with the gospels or, with, you know, we specifically looked at Matthew, but we get the Jesus story, we get the, like, you know, this is, he is the reason why us three are here together. Mm. Like, he's the reason for our faith. And now we get to experience the Bible sort of looking through the lens of of Jesus. Like, yeah. you know, it's not outright specifically, you know, mentioned his name there, but we can sort of see those hints, those seeds of what God's trying to do and how he's sort of molding it to get to that point. Mm. And I think that's sort of a great way of looking at this all. Yeah. Without diluting the story, obviously, we still want to make sure that, like, you know, all of this is still held up in the same regard, but we shouldn't also forget. It's leading somewhere. Mm. When I read verse 11 um, and I read he has washed his garments in wine, is that meaning blood or am I taking the wrong idea? No, I think it literally means wine. So later in Israelite history, Judah will be famed for its vineyards. Like, that's going to be one of the main producers that them as a tribe will produce. And what these last few verses of this blessing are saying is that wine will be in such abundance. You'll be so rich that you'll tether your donkey to the vine because you don't even care if the donkey eats a bunch of the grapes because you will have wine in abundance. You'll wash your garments in wine because you'll have so much more wine than even fresh water. So, you might as well just use the wine. So, it's literally saying... Like, this tribe will be rich and well-off and live in abundance. And it's just using the imagery of wine to convey that idea. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, Morgan. I also had that like same thought of, like, red wine, <laughs> bl- blood. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I thought straight To up. be fair, sometimes that is the analogy that's going on. Yeah. But knowing Israelite history, I think it's literally just talking about wine in abundance. Yep. Which is fit for a king, mm. and it's so yeah, and it's saying everything's in abundance here, even down to like how t- white your teeth are. Yeah, yeah. So even milk will be in abundance because mm. your teeth will be bright white from drinking too much milk. Yeah, it's all just analogies for luxury. Yes, and that's what the reign of this Messiah will look like. This one to whom all the nations will bow down to. This will be absolute luxury to live within his kingship. And then we see. Zebulun. <laughs> yes. Zebulun. Zebulun, which is interesting because this entire section goes in age order except for Zebulun. Because according to the previous chapters of Genesis we read, Issachar was born 
before Zebulun, and yet here is Zebulun before Issachar. I have no reason for why, so don't ask me why. Yeah, I, I don't know why. It's like it never has to be that simple, does it? When it comes to, when it comes to there's something that like a little curveball that you know this text gives us, and maybe it's just God going, <laughs> got him, <laughs> got him, got him. That, you know this will get him like for no apparent reason, but you know just to keep him on their toes. Well, this is the teacher who makes a mistake and then says, "Ah, oh, I was just making sure you were paying attention." Yeah, like this is God doing it. Make sure we're paying attention by just changing a small detail. Mm, we see what you're doing, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. But we hear that Zebulun will have a piece of land that will be become rich because of seaborne trade. Now, in the future allotment of the land in Joshua, Zebulun doesn't actually border the coast, but they're going to be close enough to the coast and close enough to Sidon that they'll become rich because of sea trade. So, yeah, this is another accurate prophecy by Jacob. It's a short, short and sweet one, that one. Mm. As is Issachar. Issachar will become someone who is the opposite to the seafaring nation. It will be a land-based tribe that will work the land hard mm. and will set up shop there. They'll also be forced to submit to labor. And we do know that at some point in Issachar's history as a tribe, they were enslaved by the Canaanites. Yeah. And so it seems to be pointing forward to that moment in history mm. when they actually were captured and used as slaves. Mm. They will submit themselves to hard labour. They will, whether that be working the land, like for themselves or other people. Mm. And we get Dan, good old Dan, except not good old Dan. <laughs> I mean, we could, we could, we can laugh at the name at the, just like out of every single person saying Dan. Yes, but it does not go well for the tribe that will come from Dan because you see. Dan is another one of those people that their calling doesn't match what they actually end up achieving. So his name means judgment. So he was meant to provide positive justice and judgment, but he chose treachery like a snake by the roadside, Mm. which is not great because the first practice of idolatry within the promised lands is going to be done by the tribe of Dan. Samson is probably the most famous member of the tribe of Dan. And he is the prime example of someone who had a phenomenal calling and ultimately did not live up to that calling. Mm, And then in Revelation chapter 7, it lists the tribes of Israel that will be part of the new creation and the tribe of Dan is missing. So just putting it out there that it does not go well for the tribe of Dan. No, I should have thought about their actions along the way, but... Unfortunately, they, as it says there, they're, they're the snakes. Mm. They're slithering around, ready to to strike, and well, and here like bite at the the hooves of the horse, sort of to to cripple it and get it down, and then sort of attack. You know, mm. it's it's um that very how the Bible sort of uses snakes as um primarily a negative image. Yeah, yeah primarily in a negative in not a negative light. No, not always. But yeah, it goes so poorly for Dan that literally in the new creation, their name is missing. Mm. And in verse 18 there, is that Jacob then say, like sort of giving this prophecy to Dan, but then sort of having to quickly go, great evil, you know, so to speak, is going to come out of Dan, but I trust in your salvation, Lord. So sort of like needing to reassure either himself that like like but the salvation's coming from like you lord you yahweh you god not through dan well yeah it's interesting the placement of this kind of little interjection into the text of mm. jacob crying out to god and saying you are the only one who can deliver us it's i think he's trying to remind his sons that their only deliverance can be found in yahweh 
And I think Dan in particular needs that reminder. Mm. We could probably power through the next three with a sentence each. So allow me to do that for us. Gad, which means attack, is going to be a frontier tribe. They're going to be one of the tribes that is on the very border of the promised lands. And so their lot in life is just going to be to cop border raids for most of their existence. And that is what will become of the Gad tribe. The Asher tribe is going to settle along the rich northeastern coast of Canaan, which is going to be very fertile, very productive. And in 1 Kings chapter 4, it is the Asher tribe that produces most of the food for the palace, which is what is referenced here. And then the Naphtali tribe is going to be like a doe. In other words, they live up in the mountains. They're a free highland tribe. Now, their kind of most famous moment from Israelite history is Judges 4 and 5, where under Barak, they are the ones that kind of lead the charge to free Israel from oppression. But otherwise, they sort of just hang out in the mountains and just kind of chill like a doe. (laughs) And then we hit Joseph back to a very, very long chunk. We do. And I was just checking then, Judah gets five verses, Mm -hmm. and so does Joseph. Mm. They are equal in the amount of, at least in text... That's the amount of verses that they have. So we can sort of see that um, the favoring here that Judah gets that position as being sort of the rule, the ruler and where the, the kingly line is. But Joseph's again gets sort of that almost just in terms of text equal am- uh, amount of prophecy as mm. we're sort of saying this is a prophecy slash blessing, but more sort of looking into the future. And, that was and, a very expert pickup of you, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> He's thank only you. a PK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't get too hot of a head, Josh. <laughs> but it makes sense, like, why Joseph's um, sort of quite large um, here. Well, one, he's the main character for us in, mm. this, in this story. But two, he's the beloved son of Jacob. Mm. He's always been the favoured son. And not to mention, Joseph's done quite a lot with his life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, very much so. You know, if, if, if Jacob's, you know, taking what was done in the past and predicting the future, this one here is probably a bit of an easy one to sort of maybe predict what Joseph might do if he doesn't, everything doesn't come crumbling down for Joseph. I would imagine like, you know, you've done great and you're going to continue to do great. Mm. And sort of the prime example of taking a past thing and then using that as a predictive thing is he says that Joseph is a fruitful vine and Joseph named his son Ephraim after this idea of fruitful. Like that's what the name Ephraim means. And so Jacob picks up the name of Joseph's son meaning fruitful and says, therefore, Joseph's line will be fruitful as just proof to that is what Jacob is doing here. Do any other well-known people in the Bible come through Joseph's line? (laughs) Yes. Yes, very much so. So here we read that Joseph is promised victory in the future Mm. and some of the most impressive Israelite military victories will be through some of his descendants. So, for instance, Joshua, Deborah and Samuel all come from the tribe of Ephraim, which is one of Joseph's sons. Mm. And then other people like Gideon and Jephthah will both come through Manasseh's tribe, which is the other son of Joseph. So, like I said, some of the most impressive military victories will come through these descendants, which, as we read, is because Jacob promises military victory to Joseph's offspring. Hmm. And then we see little brother Benjamin, who's little and innocent. (laughs) Oh, easy, though, because this oracle says that his tribe will be violent in spirit like a ravenous, devouring wolf. (laughs) I still just want to remember him as little brother Benjamin, little Hmm. innocent little boy. Benji. (laughs) You could say that, but... 
The so Benj- <laughs> the Benjamites are one of the worst tribes going forward. Like in Judges twenty, the rest of Israel will combine forces to attack Benjamin. Like it's a civil war, and they decide to attack this tribe because of their great evil. Mm. The first king of Israel, King Saul, was a Benjamite, and if you've read that bit of the of the Bible, you know he just does an awful job at it. Mm. So this tribe does not go good places. And even though we don't know a lot of bad things Benjamin himself did, Jacob does not give a positive oracle about his youngest son. No. And I, I'm sort of imagining, like, you know, all the brothers in the room, mm. and they're going through each each one, and sort of one's a bit longer, one's a bit shorter. You get to Judah, nice long one. Then you get, like, rattle off, a, like, you know, a couple of short ones. And then you get back to Joseph. And, like, you know, he's giving, like, all the blessings of his aunt, Like, his ancestors are going to get... You're going to get more blessings. And mm. I can imagine, like... As we as we've said, little Benji here is like, um, not that he's that little, but um, <laughs> fully grown man, fully grown man. But Benjamin's probably like, I'm next, you know. Like Joseph's got this great, great um, blessing prophecy. What I'm am dad's I gonna- second favorite. Uh, yeah, like what am I gonna get? No, nah, it's like one sentence, but it's not necessarily about like um being necessarily like fair. It's like you know, as as we said, it's about predicting what might come of them in mm. their in in their nation uh, and and what 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 will happen in the future mm. um and so maybe that is just a, you know one sentence here and here and there and it doesn't need a lot for it to be explained and thus ends sort of the final words of Jacob like you'll have a few more words about his uh burial and what he wants to happen there but otherwise this is this is the end of Jacob I feel more sad about the end of Jacob than I do Abraham. <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> Just bringing it back to that. <laughs> I know it's a sore spot, Lockie. I listened to that episode and the way Josh or Alyssa edited it, they removed so much of your negativity about Abraham. It doesn't sound negative at all in the episode. I Which wait, which version did you listen to? Oh, just the normal one. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot more on the, in the Patreon. <laughs> but it's you funny. You have to pay to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's funny though because like, I, like I've, I – Made it so that it was more like a like it sounded it came off uh, in a more of a funny light yep, good. than anything. <laughs> the way it should be. Out of out of everything from like reading Genesis, I didn't know that this feud between our liking of I mean you you like I think it's more Lockie and Morgan's liking of Abraham <laughs> would be, like that's the thing that was going to come out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Even Lockie posting a story about the um episode, I was like, see you, Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so. Jacob is having his sort of final breaths here. He's instructing what sort of he wants to happen to his body once mm. he passes on from here. And we get this sort of nice um, moment and we sort of get, we will see that fulfilled, but him wanting to go back to his where his ancestors are buried. Mm. And this is one of those stories in scripture that I totally forgot existed. Really? When I was reading this through, I was like, wait. Wait, they actually went as like the entire family back to the cave to bury him? I don't oh, know really? where I was that day at Bible college where we covered Genesis. I don't know where I was that day at Sunday school where we covered that in Sunday school. I just, I read it. It was one of those moments where you feel like you're reading it for the first time. Oh, And interesting. I was like, oh, wow, look at that. They're actually going to the land of Canaan to bury their father. Mm. Oh, there you go. Like, I've definitely read it before. Like, I've read through the entire book of Genesis, the entire Bible before, but it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, 
I don't remember this. <laughs> no, um, for me, it was always a big standout moment of like, it's the 12 brothers coming together to bury their father mm. and coming together like united to and sort of in like respect and memory. Like even if they had any like squabbles that like everything's put to, put aside so that they can bury, to bury the patriarch of the family. Mm. And to make sure that he was good to travel that far, they embalmed him. And so... Mm. Jacob was turned into a mummy. <laughs> but how very um, Egyptian. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably why Joseph entrusts the Egyptian physicians to embalm his father. Mm. Like That's normally a task you'd leave up to the family itself to do, but mummification is not a part of Hebrew culture. Mm. But is it? A, it's always, the Bible always puts it in a nice way, and then he joined his ancestors in death. Mm. Like, you know, like he's rejoining um, those fellow followers of Yahweh, of God. Mm. Those those that also did walk with Yahweh just like he did. Yes. Being reunited with his wives, but also mm. his father, his grandfather, gathered mm. to his people. Yeah. And now that we're in chapter 50, verse 3 says that the Egyptians mourned Jacob for 70 days. Mm. And I was doing some research. And according to these ancient sources, Herodotus and Diodorus, you would mourn a pharaoh for 72 days. And so it's like they gave him such honor, such respect, just short of a pharaoh. Mm. Yeah, not the full 72 because that's reserved for the pharaoh. Mm. But like the highest possible number you could give to a non-pharaoh. Yeah. I was just amazed that the Egyptians also mourned. Mm. You know, they don't have to. He's not, Jacob's not Egyptian, neither is Joseph. But Joseph is one who saved them. Yes. We saw last episode that they loved Joseph. Mm. They cried out in adoration and thanked him for saving them. Yeah. So he's a man held in very high esteem mm. in Egypt. It's also interesting to look at the the route that the Egyptians and Joseph and his brothers took because it was not the most direct route to the burial site. In fact, it was almost the same way that many years later, Moses and Joshua would lead the Israelites to re-enter the promised lands. Like they they re- they skirted the Dead Sea and entered from the east across the Jordan, which is again not the easiest way to go from Egypt, but the way the Exodus would go many years later. Mm. Sort of that pilgrimage to their final destination. Mm. And this is also Joseph's first time back in this land in thirty nine years. Wow! Just as another fun fact with Auckland. And Joseph doesn't really leave, like after the, these events of burying his father, Joseph doesn't really leave Egypt. No, not again. No. Not he, as far as we know. Mine says in 14, after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So once he goes home, he returns home to Egypt and he stays there for the rest of his life. Oh, so he doesn't like move again. Yeah. And I don't think Pharaoh would really want him to move to. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Top advisor. Don't yep. go anywhere. But here's an interesting, we get to sort of an interesting point in the story, which I hadn't really considered to this point, that Joseph was holding back his resentment or his anger purely because his father was around. That's at least what the brothers think. Yes. I don't think that's the truth, but it's what no, the brothers no. think, yeah. And I, for, for me, seeing how Joseph reacted with his brothers, there was no doubt in my mind that Joseph was holding any sort of grudge or anger towards him and would sort of act out in in this moment. Hmm. And so, yes, it's very, very much 
the brothers' thinkings. Because the brothers say, your father left these instructions before he died. Which is, But I think we're meant to read that as an absolute lie. 100%. Like, we're not meant to read that as serious. It's just the brothers are freaking out that without Jacob around, Joseph may finally enact his revenge. Which was another sort of little sly move by them. Mm. But, you know, maybe for one second, Joseph didn't actually think that. Like, or like just like how we're going, yeah, nice one, but <laughs> I think we can see what you're doing there. But I like what Joseph says. Mm. Don't be afraid. Don't be, well, don't be afraid of me. I'm not God. I'm not the one that can punish you. It's again, as Joseph continues to do, as like all, like all the other characters in Genesis do, is giving it back to God. Mm. Saying like, God is the judge God is the one that can enact his wrath or his forgiveness, kindness, you know, insert anything there. It's all God's doing. It's not Joseph's doing. It's not our doing here. It's not anyone else. It's all, you know, it's all to God there. Mm. Yeah. And then he follows that up with a verse that I've referenced several times. I think it's an excellent verse for life. It's an excellent verse for interpreting Genesis, which is, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And I also want to suggest and bring up here that we see so many examples of this in Genesis, so many examples of this in our own lives, but we see the ultimate example of this in the crucifixion of Jesus. Mm. What others intended for harm, God has intended and used for good. From 22 on, we get to the death of Joseph. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, why does Genesis end with this part? Mm. Yeah, fair. Yeah. In one sense, it's a really natural ending in Joseph has been the main character for the past, what, like 12 chapters. And so in one sense, you want to capture his entire life. So wrapping up the book of Genesis with the death of Joseph makes all the sense of the world because unlike movies and books we read, this is about real characters. And so you will sort of want their whole life in it, not just the highlight like you mm. would in a movie or a book. Mm. In the other sense, it's sort of nice that we end Genesis on a happy, positive note for the nation of Israel. Mm. Like we end in this really positive place and we end with Joseph's final words being, when God comes to help you and leads you back to Canaan, take my bones with you because I know God is going to eventually send you back to the land that he promised our ancestors. And so it ends with this really future-looking, hopeful moment, Mm. which is exactly how you want the first book of the Bible to end. You don't want it to end with a nice bow and wrap-up because this is literally step one in a much larger story. You want it to end in a way that looks forward positively to the future and goes, there's more to come. God will be active. True. I just feel like it lacked a lot of detail considering how much Joseph did. Like it's quite quick to wrap up and it's not. there's not as much detail as like Jacob dying. Mm. Yeah, fair. But again, Hebrews 11, which is where we started this episode, Joseph's moment of faith is that when his end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And so, according to the author of Hebrews, Joseph's ultimate act of faith was to give encouragement to his brothers that God was going to deliver his people out of Egypt. And the exodus becomes like the central defining moment in Israelite history, almost for the rest of time. Like it is the moment God shows his power and ownership over the nation of Israel. And this has set the stage for it in a way that nothing else ever could. Mm. And so while there's not a lot of details about Joseph's death, there's enough details to keep us in anticipation for the book of Exodus Mm. and the great things God will do there. 
Yeah. And the the funny thing is we've kept on saying throughout all of Genesis, like, well, it's going to be next episode, next episode. The Exodus story is going to be an entirely different season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, next book, Morgan, is now the answer to all the questions. Is It will be answered in the next book of the Bible. (laughs) I love another cliffhanger. (laughs) It's because the Bible wants you to read the rest of the Bible. Here's the proof. I also had, like, another thought as we're sort of, like, thinking about Jacob and Joseph and why maybe Joseph is a bit more become like is so like sort of short here when comparing to Jacob I think it starts like the the Joseph story starts off as Joseph as the main character and we're following him but it sort of transitions into him blending with the other brothers and it becoming the story of Jacob and then the nations that come from Jacob and so it's it does feel a bit odd why it's so short because of how much we've we've sort of stuck with joseph and seen it but i think that i think potentially and this is more me just having sort of a, a jab at it is our main character gets shifted to jacob and then we see the the tribes and the nations from that so we're, we're not just solely having to look at the one brother but we're now looking at all the brothers this is a story written for all of israel mm. and while joseph is a patriarch for the tribes that will come from him he is not a patriarch of israel mm. like when god appears before moses in the burning bush he is the god of your father abraham isaac and jacob mm. he doesn't mention joseph there because joseph's not a patriarch of israel and so we've concluded this book with the death of the last patriarch, which is Jacob. And because Joseph's been such a major character, I think the author has wanted to make sure we know how his story wraps up. But ultimately, this section of Genesis is about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how they founded the nation of Israel. So, Morgan, how did you find finishing a second book of the Bible? I think I was saying to you guys before, Genesis is not at all what I expected at all. Like, I I expected to be introduced to lots of characters and people and stories, Mm. but I kind of thought it was going to be all fairies and rainbows creation, like, God created a bunny and God created this and that and just like... <laughs> Can you imagine 50 chapters of and then God created the bunny and then he played with the bunny? <laughs> no, but I just expected more like creation. I don't know mm. what I expected going into it, but it was it was a lot. There was a lot in it. Because mm. this is a historical founding document. It's not just the creation story. But yeah, fair. Like, you yeah, came in that's just what I thought Genesis was. I just assumed Genesis was literally just creation in the beginning. Mm. Mm. Um, and that feels like a very long time ago that we started that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it does. feels like forever, but yeah, it's just, I just expected Genesis to be just creation before we started. Mm-hmm. And in a way it is, yes, it's the creation story from the very beginning and, and giving us, depending which way you look at it, you know, a poetic way of being able to tell the creation of everything or, you know, whichever view you want to have, but it's the Genesis of the Israelite nation. Yes, absolutely. And our founding fathers, if you will, mm. of of our faith. Yeah. And and so in in way it's it's it all it is all the beginning, if that makes sense. Yes. I also can see in it there was lots of like foundational ideas and promises and things that mm. 
I've heard at church or I've heard in conversations or like very foundational things. Mm. So it's quite a helpful book to read. I think I'm great. Like, I think it's great that we did Matthew first, but I think Mm. this is very helpful as a newbie. Mm. That's why we do the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't like genealogies. That's my only negative. (laughs) Apart from that, it was good. That's fair. And, you know, like you, like you just said, it's, this is all the context or this is the start of all the context. (laughs) You know, we've got another, um, 64 books. What to cover in the whole Bible? To cover in the whole Bible, like you know, like this is it. It as we said, like it, it feels like we've sat with Genesis for quite a while. But if you compare it to this big book, mm. it's nothing. Mm-hmm. We're going to be recording in a nursing home one day. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, we'll see how we go. Um, you know, <laughs> one we book at a time. <laughs> one book. Yeah, one book at a time. See where God leads us with it all. I have a question for Lockie. I want to know if, as an expert, when you read Genesis again, if each time you notice different things, like how how you found it as an expert. This is one of the deepest dives I've ever done into the book of Genesis. So a lot of the things I learned in preparation for episodes was the very first time I'd thought about it deeply. And so, yes, I got a lot out of the book of Genesis this time, as opposed to other times that I've just read it or we've done a short sermon series at church or whatever. Like, this is the deepest dive I've ever done. And yeah, lots and lots of new insights for me. And if you want to know what those insights are, go back and listen to our previous 16 episodes. (laughs) And what about you, Josh? What did you think? I think this has been... Great. Like for me to to really sink my teeth into this, this has been really good. Comparing it to Matthew, the Jesus story is one that's been like hounded in to me for, you know, the past 26 years. Mm. And so you sort of know the gospel stories really well. And not to say that's any less and makes it any less important, but it's a very familiar sort of story where what I found with Genesis is I know the major players, but I don't really know that them re- like really well and use you, you mm. know like you know the flood you know adam and eve you know joseph and his coat and what happens there but you don't i for me it's you, you i really didn't know in great detail those stories and so i've been really excited each time we've been able to get to this because this is familiar but new territory for mm. me and just learning how it's just everything connects. Um, just like as we were going before with the the twelve tribes or the fourteen, depending <laughs> depending which way like, which way you look at it. But um, like just not knowing the extent of where all our other biblical characters come from, and how we can sort of link everything back to back to these tribes, and then everything back to Abraham. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's been really great. In, in that and just being able to, as I said before, really sink the teeth into it and sort of get to the the juicy, um, more in-depth look of it rather than just me having the knowledge that I had in Sunday school. Mm. So we've just shared our thoughts and reflected over the book of Genesis, not just these chapters, but the entire book of Genesis. And we'd love to know uh, what you guys have thought about this, any questions that have come out, any sort of statements or anything that you might be grappling with still. We'd love to know all your thoughts on not just this episode specifically, but your, your entire journey through 
Genesis. And we've got a Q&A episode coming up. So right after this episode, the following one will be our Q&A. So if you've got any questions, send them through to us. Follow the link tree. You'll be able to um, either through social media, Patreon, or uh, the Google the Google form that's there. You'll be able to submit your questions and we're going to try to the best of our ability answer uh, those. There will be a short break between this episode and our next episode because, again, I'm away in Europe. Yes. But if anything, that gives you all more time to send in excellent questions for us. So we're excited to receive the questions and don't be worried if it takes an extra week or so for that episode to appear in your feed. Yeah. So keep make sure you keep up to date with all our social medias. And if you want to support us financially, just like I said at the beginning, follow us on Patreon, head over there, see what it's all about if you want to support us in a financial sense. Don't forget to share this around. We want not only the podcast to be shared and to be spread amongst everyone, but we want the word of God to be able to be spread. Well, how about I just end with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you that we can all gather here today, that we can read your word and that we've been able to go through the book of Genesis, to be able to see the beginning of all of your work on this earth, Lord. And we again, thank you for your servant, Jacob. We thank you for your servant, Joseph. And just like them, we want to just bring and praise everything to you, Lord, and that we know that being able to look through the lives of these biblical characters that you use everything in life for your work, Lord. You use the good and you use the bad, Lord, and allow us to be reminded of that, Lord. And we pray for everyone here and everyone listening that you be with us in everything we do, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. 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 Lockheed Morgan, thank you. Everyone listening and watching, thank you. And we'll see everyone next week for our Q&A. Bye. 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 A Mustard Seed Creative Production.